Robert Frost was one of America's favorite poets. In his poem called The Road Not Taken, he describes ambling through an autumn woods and coming to a fork in the path and pondering about which path he should take. And he decided to take the path less traveled, describing it with these words, two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by. Now the dilemma that Robert Frost describes in the poem is not the question of where the path that he chose to walk will take him. Because as he walked, he would find out where that path leads. His problem was never finding out where the other path led, always being left to wonder, what was around that corner? What was over that hill? What if I had taken that path? What did I miss? What sights would there have been to see? As Jesus nears the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, he describes a similar situation, a choice of two paths. However, in the situation that Jesus describes, there are significant differences. The first difference is that in Jesus' account, the traveler is not someone else. The traveler is you. And in this case, Jesus is not describing an event that took place in the past, but a decision that you must make now and today. And another difference is that in this case, that Jesus describes, we are not left to wonder where the roads lead. Jesus makes that very clear. The one leads to life. The other leads to destruction. We do not need to spend the rest of our lives wondering, what if I had taken the other path? Because we know the destination of each path. Now, throughout his teachings, Jesus used vivid word pictures to illustrate his messages. Now, as far as I know, he did not use PowerPoint or even flannel graph to depict those images, but he gave descriptions that were easy for people to picture in their minds. And the Gospels are filled with these illustrations that Jesus gave. And as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, he does the same thing. In these verses, he describes two gates and two different ways, strikingly different in their nature. And in the following verses, he describes a wolf that is draped in sheep's wool or a sheepskin so that it can deceive the flock. He describes fruit trees that are loaded with fruit, some good and some bad. He describes two houses built on two different types of foundations. And these are all things that his listeners could easily picture in their minds and could draw an analogy to, leaving a vivid illustration of the truth that is being taught. Today, we look at the first of these closing illustrations in the Sermon on the Mount, a description of two ways. Now, I mentioned that Jesus used illustrations that are easy for us to picture in our minds. It's easy to picture two paths leading in two different directions. However, that being said, the images that we do picture in our minds probably vary quite a bit, one from another. For example, I can say a word that causes you to picture something in your mind. I can say the word dog. Some of you might picture a small house dog that you like to hold in your lap. Others might picture a large menacing German shepherd snarling and baring its teeth. Two very different images 
and yet they're both dogs. So as we come back to the illustration of the broad way and the narrow way, I wonder what the image is in your mind as you think of these two ways. How do you imagine them? As a young boy, I remember visiting an older couple in our church. They had a poster hanging on their wall, a painting depicting the two ways. And I'm guessing some of you have seen that painting or a similar painting. And I remember as a young boy standing gazing at that picture. And I suppose that that picture may have influenced the image in my mind because even today that's, that's somewhat how I, I picture it. Now I did find a similar image and it may not show up very well in detail uh, here. But this image shows the two ways. We have the broad way and over here we have a narrow way. And I remember as a young boy looking at that picture and wondering why is this narrow way so winding when the Bible describes it as straight? Well, we'll get to that later. Uh, there is an explanation for that. But you see here a gate that is broad, very easy to access. Over here is this obscure little narrow passageway through the wall that leads to the narrow path. Now, I appreciate the effort that someone put into painting that picture. I think it's helpful. But remember, there are more than one ways to imagine the example that Jesus gave. And if you were to paint a picture showing the two ways, I wonder how it would look. Or I wonder how it would differ from this picture. And I think that one thing about this picture that may not be entirely accurate is that it, it somewhat depicts one decision point. I mean, you're here and you have this option or this option. But after you choose your path, there's not really too many connections between. Now, there's a, a bridge or two here that's pretty obscure that you, you might be able to pass from one to the other. But this picture depicts that once you make your decision, your, your path is pretty much determined. I find in my life that every day is a decision point. And every day, I need to decide what is my path going to be today? Will I choose the narrow way today? Or will I choose the broad way? I find that it's quite easy to pass from one to the other at any moment. Sometimes I picture the broad way and the narrow way a little differently or quite a bit differently than what's shown in this image. I'd like you to try to picture in your mind a busy airport with a busy passageway connecting two terminals. And that passageway is filled with people moving in one direction. But down the middle of that passageway, there's this conveyor. You've seen them moving walkways going in the opposite direction. And in this case, there are no barriers on the side of that conveyor. So you have throngs of people moving in this direction with an narrow conveyor with a few people moving in the opposite direction. At any moment, they can step off that conveyor and be carried by the crowd in the opposite direction. They need to maintain their focus if they're going to stay on the narrow way. I step off on either side and they will be going in the opposite direction. Don't you find that that's what life is like? You have a goal of moving in one direction and all around there are people who may be moving in the opposite direction 
And to stay on the narrow way takes a concerted effort. At the same time, if you are on the Broadway, walking with the crowds, at any moment, you have the option to turn around and go the other direction. So I think both of these images may be helpful. Both have applications of truth in them, and there may be other images that are helpful as well. I have three parts I'd like to discuss in our sermon this morning, and I'll try to keep moving as rapidly as possible. Um, hopefully you don't fear that I was along down in Columbia and forgot how to close the service, but uh, we'll try to move here as quickly as we can. The first thing I'd like to look at is characteristics of the Broadway. Secondly, characteristics of the narrow way. And then thirdly, I'd like to look at the decision that we have to make, each one of us, the decisions as we stand at the crossroads and consider these two ways. Characteristics of the Broadway. First of all, the Broadway is deceptive. Now, Jesus clearly informed us that the Broadway leads to destruction. But in doing so, he gave us some inside information. We have some inside information when we know this. He is telling us something that many people do not know, or if they do know it, they are choosing to ignore it. You see, the gate to the Broadway is made to look as attractive as possible. The entrance is, is alluring, it's enticing. The entrance advertises pleasure, position, possessions, all kinds of possessions. It advertises popularity and fulfillment of your passions. Come this way, have it all, have what you want. There is no sign over the Broadway announcing, this road leads to destruction. There is no one standing there yelling, come this way, choose death. No advertisements, come this way for eternal damnation. The Broadway is deceptive. Secondly, the Broadway is full of religious people. Now, that might surprise you, it might sound a little bit contradictory. Sometimes I think, as we read the Bible, as we read Matthew 7, we read these verses just a little bit too smugly because we think we have it together. We get to these verses, and maybe we don't consciously process these thoughts, but subconsciously the thought is in there, and we harbor this us and them mentality. And we just somehow take for granted that we are the ones that are on the narrow way. And we're glad we're not part of that Broadway crowd. And we move on to the next verses. Somehow we assume that because sometime in the past we made a decision to believe in Christ and to be baptized and to be identified with people who call themselves Christians, that means that I'm on the narrow way. Well, maybe it does, and maybe it doesn't. Remember who the Sermon on the Mount was preached to. Right at the beginning of chapter 5. His disciples came on to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, believers in God, and this danger was expressed to them and to us. I believe that on the broad way, you will find many people who are depending on their church membership to take them where they want to go. They're members in the church. That takes care of it. They can live their lives the way they want to. On the Broadway, you will find many people who are depending on their good works, who are depending on an honorable lifestyle. And you will find many people on the Broadway 
who say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? They're religious people. On the Broadway, you will find many people who know how to build nice houses that look attractive, but they're built on the sand, and the destruction of those houses are coming. On the Broadway, you will find many people in religious circles who are advocating tolerance of all people and whatever lifestyle they choose. Welcome them just as they are. We need to be accepting of everyone and everything that they may bring with them. The Broadway has lots of religious people. The Broadway gets broader as you go. We notice two words in these verses. It says, wide is the gate and broad is the way. And as I thought about these two verses, I thought, now, is this just two ways of saying the same thing, or is it something different? So I did a little bit of research, found something rather interesting. Now, we understand what the word wide means. It has to do with something that is spacious, easy to enter, little restraint. If there's a wide gate, there's not much restraint. So what does the word broad mean? The word broad, as I understand from my study, comes from a word that is implying a spacious, open expanse. It almost indicates more of a field than a road. So you go through this wide gate, and then it opens up to this just area of basically no restraint. So the gate has little restraint. You walk through that, and there's no restraint. You see how I mean the Broadway gets broader as it goes. In other words, you choose this way. You choose your own route. It really doesn't matter. Anything goes. There's no restrictions, no rules, no standards. Sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? Come this way. The choice is yours. Nobody's going to tell you what to do or what not to do. You may be in charge. You may go to the right, you may go to the left, you may go anywhere in between. The way is broad. It's just wide open. And you will find as you walk or as people walk the broad road, as they continue, it gets broader and broader. We see that tendency all around us. We see it in our society and in our government. Today, there are practices that are accepted and endorsed and legalized that we could hardly have imagined a generation or two ago. You see the Broadway gets broader as you go. We see it in churches. You don't need to look far. They may begin by losing distinctive attire. They throw out the head covering. After a while, they accept divorce and remarriage. This is soon followed by accepting the homosexual lifestyle and flying the rainbow flag. We are a tolerant church. They're willing to tolerate anything in the name of acceptance. Now, this may not be the exact path in every case, but it's something similar. You get the idea how it's, it's just a process that gets wider as it goes. They end up accepting things that they did not even see when they began walking the broad road. But the broad road continues to get broader. It's the road of permissiveness, the road of tolerance. It leads to things that were not even in sight when you first stepped onto that road. We hear the term sometimes of a progressive church. 
That church is a progressive church. I don't like that term because usually when it is used, it is used to describe churches that are not progressing. They are churches that are losing out. They are following the broad road. A real progressive church is a church that is becoming more and more like Christ Jesus. Individuals are growing in their commitment to follow the teachings of the Bible at any cost without rationalizing and trying to explain away their lifestyle. They are sending out missionaries. They are choosing to walk the road to life. We see this broadening tendency all around us. We see it in families and individuals. We've seen it happen over and over again as people tentatively take one step and then another and another. Most of us probably need to look no farther than our own lives, and we can see that trend. So brothers and sisters, beware. The broad road continues to broaden as you go. The broad road ensnares you. You accumulate its influence, and it bogs you down. And it just becomes harder and harder to break free. When I lived in the Northland years ago, one of the dangers that I learned about in the wintertime was something that you could deal with called slush. And this happened on the lakes. Now, keep in mind, you have winters that get to 40 degrees below zero or colder. You have lots of ice in the lakes. You have thick snow on the ice. And sometimes, in the course of the natural events, there are cracks that develop in, these ice, in, the, in the ice, and water comes up through the ice and saturates the bottom of the snow. Now what happens, you already have a couple feet of snow on top of this, which insulates it, and then that slush does not freeze. So you have this layer of snow, a layer of slush, and then solid ice beneath it. That slush can be extremely dangerous. It will bog you down. If you're snowmobiling across the lake and you get into slush, that slush will build up in the snowmobile and immobilize that snowmobile. If you're walking and you get into that slush, it's dangerous because what happens? Your foot goes down and it gets wet. But remember, it might be 40 degrees below zero. And as you lift your foot, a layer of that frost, of that, of that slush, freezes. You take another step, it freezes a little bit more, and your feet become encased in balls of ice that grow bigger and bigger and bigger. People have died simply because they could not continue to move. They were bogged down with this ice. If you're carrying an axe with you, you might be able to chip it off and keep on going. Otherwise, you may be doomed to freezing to death. That's a description of the Broadway. It ensnares you. In the Northland, a wintertime lake is beautiful. It looks so pure. It looks so attractive, so beautiful, and so innocent. You'd never dream of the danger. You know that ice is a couple feet thick. There's no danger of falling through the ice. You begin walking across that lake, mesmerized by the appealing attractions, just like life. You may not even notice it at first, but those attractions begin to build on you. They begin to grab your feet. They begin to bog you down. And by the time you notice it, it may be too late to escape on your own. You try to turn around, but anywhere you walk, it just continues to build on you. 
Your only hope is the acts of God's word to chop away at those influences that are bogging you down, that bondage that is holding you from walking the path that God has chosen. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us lay aside every weight, these appealing attractions that build up on us. We need to cut them off. We need to separate them. Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us so that we can continue to run with patience the race that is set before us, the narrow way. We need to lay aside the things of the broad way that are bogging us down. Look to Jesus. You cannot save yourself. He is waiting to deliver you. And finally, the broad way leads to destruction. We most often think of these verses, verses 13 and 14, as verses referring to Christians and non-Christians, and eternal life and damnation. And I believe that is true. But remember, Jesus is talking to religious people. He is talking to believers in God. And I think these verses are just as true in another sense in that we can allow aspects of the broad road to build into our lives that will lead to the destruction of our relationship with God. They will lead to the destruction of our, our spiritual vitality. They will lead to the destruction of our effectiveness in ministry with other people. Maybe they're not leading you to eternal damnation, but they're destroying your spiritual life step by step. It's leading you to destruction. And I don't think there's anybody here that, that is exempt from that. There are things in our lives that bog us down, that hinder our closeness with God, that distract us, that keep us from God's word. You know what they are. It might be attitudes might be habits. It might be addictions, fascinations that we have. What might God be asking you to lay aside this morning in order that you can draw nigh to him and cleanse your hands and purify your hearts? If you can't think of anything, I wonder if you're being honest with yourself. What is it that God would have you to lay aside that is trying to destroy your relationship with God. There are many examples of those who chose to walk the broad way of pleasure and indulgence. You can think of Achan, who walked the way of covetousness and material acquisition. His path led to destruction. Think of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, who walked a path of rebellion against authority. Their path led to destruction. Think of Samson, who chose to walk the path of sensual pleasure. His path led to destruction. Think of Judas, who walked a path driven by the love of money and acquisition of money. His path led to destruction. Think of Ananias and Sapphira, who chose to walk the path of deception. Living one way, leaving another impression. Their path led to destruction. The broad way has many, many temptations of pleasure and indulgence and covetousness and rebellion and lust for pleasure, lust for money. Brothers and sisters, these things lead to destruction. They're paths. It was true in the Old Testament. It's true of the New Testament as well. 
Let's move on. Look now at characteristics of the narrow way. Number one, the narrow way is difficult to enter. In a parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke, Luke records the words of Jesus in this way. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter and shall not be able. To strive has the idea of considerable effort. It doesn't just happen. You don't just happen to enter in the narrow way. It's something that takes effort. And it's worth more than achieving any earthly goal, whatever that goal may be. Now, perhaps we know where the gate is to the narrow way. We know where that narrow path is. We may know what we need to do. And yet passing through that gate can be the most difficult thing you've ever done. It's not easy. We need to strive to enter in at the narrow gate. There are things that we need to shed, things we can't carry with us. They may be things that are dear to us. We may need to renounce some of our goals, our dreams, our aspirations. We may even need to renounce our reputation, that which we've strived to be known for. We might need to give it up. We may need to renounce connections with friends and even connections with family and their dreams for us. It's not easy to enter in the narrow gate. We may need to confess things in our lives that we did not want anyone to know. That's not easy to do. It is difficult. But Jesus never trimmed down the gospel in order to fit man. His approach is always to trim down man to fit the gospel. Entering the narrow way is not easy. It is difficult. What is Jesus asking you to lay aside today in order to walk his path so that you can run the race that is set before you? Luke chapter 16, verse 14 describes, it talks about, uh, it says, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. You, you try to justify what you're doing, rationalize what you're doing. It says, But God knoweth the hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. What part of your life that men look up to is an abomination to God? That's what you need to get rid of. The narrow way is difficult to enter. The narrow way requires a focused effort. You need to concentrate on staying that path, on staying on that path. Remember that path I, I described through the airport with crowds going in one direction, and in the middle of that, a few people walking in the opposite direction. I uh, am fascinated sometimes. I've been fascinated by reading stories of mountain climbers, particularly of people that have climbed Mount Everest. And in one account I read, someone described walking on a little narrow ledge. And they said, if you would step off a few feet in the one direction, you would drop 5,000 feet into Nepal, and if you would step off a few feet in the opposite direction, you would fall 6,000 feet into Tibet, China. Said, you need to stay on the path. And mountain climbers joke that it's better to fall off the 6,000-foot side than the 5,000-foot side because you have a few more seconds to live till you hit the bottom. But the point is, walking that path takes concentrated effort. 
Staying on the narrow way takes concentrated effort. Number three, the narrow way is not crowded. Jesus said, few there be that find it. And I think we could say, fewer still there be who continue to follow it. It may get lonely. And you find that in life. The farther you progress in any endeavor, the fewer your companions and peers. Consider some tournament. You enter a tournament, all the teams enter that tournament. You have lots of company. But pretty soon, there begins to develop a, a winner's bracket and a loser's bracket. And you want to stay in the winner's bracket. And, and the other teams that remain in that bracket become fewer and fewer. Perhaps eventually you make it to the uh, semifinals. There's only four teams left. And then to the finals, there's only one team left. You win the final, you're alone. One team. The farther you go, the fewer the associates. It's the same in the work environment. You enter a workforce as a laborer. There are lots of laborers. But as you work through those ranks, as a foreman, there are fewer of them. A manager, eventually, you get to the top, there's one owner. I think the same is true in the church. The farther you progress on the narrow road and the farther you progress in your walk with Christ, in your journey through life, the company, the crowds, continue to thin. There are multitudes of, of, quote, nominal Christians, Christians by name, who want to be identified, but much fewer are those who are the dedicated, sold out, who will not stop to ask what their peers are doing or what their peers would think. And maybe we could even make a further application to this. Within the church, there are multitudes of people who are satisfied to live their whole lives enjoying the comforts of their home community. But if you choose to spend a week or two in another state rebuilding after a natural disaster or spend a few months helping refugees crowded into some camp, the crowds are much smaller. You see, you're going farther on that narrow path. If you're willing to commit a year or two or three of your life in voluntary service, the crowds are even smaller. There's even fewer people in the church that do that. And few indeed are those who are willing to walk the narrow way of spending large portions of their life in another country ministering to other people. You see, the farther you progress in your journey with God, it may get lonely sometimes. People may not understand why you need to go so far. Now, I recognize God does not call everyone to serve long-term in foreign missions, but I fear there are many who are called, who choose not to walk that narrow way. The narrow way is not crowded. When Felix Mons and Conrad Grebel chose to walk the narrow road, it was a lonely path for them. The same is true for dedicated Christians who choose to walk the narrow road. Jesus said, enter in at the straight gate, walk the higher road. As you continue that path, it becomes ever more challenging, and the crowds continue to dwindle. Well, we said that the broad way gets broader as you go. The narrow way may also get narrower as you progress on that journey. And again, we have two different words. We have the word straight, and we have the word narrow. Now, I said earlier, I wondered as a boy why the straight way was so crooked. Well, it so happens that the word straight does not mean straight. 
you notice the two different spellings. The word here, straight, does not mean the opposite of crooked in a direct line. It simply means a narrow place between obstacles, a small point between obstacles. And we, we have an illustration of that in geography, a geographical term. Uh, if you look at a map, you may notice different places in the map that is marked, labeled as a strait. One of those is the Strait of Gibraltar. And you have a, uh, an example there, this narrow place opening from the Atlantic Ocean into the Mediterranean Sea. This narrow opening is called a strait. And that is what Jesus is referring to when he talks about straight is the gate. It's not wide. It's not easy. It's difficult to enter into. So straight is a small point between obstacles. Narrow has the idea of to crowd or to squeeze. So even after you pass through that, there is something that continues to pressure in on you. This path continues to press in on us. And in this case, it's not the crowds of people. It's the expectations that God has for us. Jesus is always our example. And Jesus is our example when it comes to walking the narrow way. And as we look at his life, we can see how his life continued to narrow down and narrow down and narrow down. Consider Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth. That was definitely walking through a narrow gate. Leaving the glories of, of heaven, leaving the splendor of heaven to come to this earth to live as a human, born as a baby, perhaps in a stable, being laid in a manger. Talk about passing through a narrow place. But notice in his life how the path continued to press in on him, growing narrower as he continued forward. Throughout his youth, I suppose Jesus had a considerable amount of freedom to move about, live as he pleased. As he entered his ministry, his testimony was that I did only those things that pleased the Father, following his will. You see how his path narrowed. And as he approached his final week, his disciples asked him, well, why are you going to Jerusalem? But Jesus was compelled to go to Jerusalem as things continued to narrow in on him. Kneeling in the garden, he felt that constriction getting tighter and tighter as he knelt there and prayed and the sweat drops like blood just poured out of his body. And he cried to God, is there any way you can deliver this from me? He felt the pressure of that narrow way. Soon he was walking out of that garden under arrest, probably guards on either side of him. He only had one direction he could move as those guards guided his path. The following day, he was nailed to a cross, unable to move even his hands and his feet. Perhaps the only thing he could do was turn his head as he looked at his mother, as he looked at his disciples, as he turned to look at the thief beside him. You see how it was becoming narrower and narrower. Finally, he was laid in a tomb, bound in grave clothes, and all movement had ceased. As he followed the narrow way, it continued to grow narrower and narrower. Can we expect any less in our lives? 
But that's not the end of Jesus' story. The narrow way leads to life. As Jesus lay in the tomb, the story was not over. The last lines had not been written. On that glorious Easter morning, Jesus burst out of that tomb filled with life, a life that would never end. He had walked the narrow road, the confining path, and it led to life, glorious, eternal life. The narrow way may continue to grow narrower and narrower, but it bursts forth into life. Imagine a caterpillar. The way of a caterpillar is pretty limited. It's pretty narrow. As it turns into a chrysalis, it becomes even tighter. It cannot travel anywhere. But the day comes when that, what was a caterpillar, bursts out of that chrysalis into new life as a butterfly. The narrow way will lead to life. Today, we are standing at the crossroads. We have a decision to make. What is Jesus saying in these verses? First of all, this is a serious warning. This is not something to be taken lightly. These two ways lead to two different destinations. The one is life. The other is destruction. And those destinations are the reason why this choice is so important. The choice is yours. I think you've heard the statement over this pulpit before. I remember John Yu making the statement, probably more than once. You may choose the path that you want to walk and accept the destination wherever it leads. Or you may choose your destination and accept the path that leads there. We have a choice. It's a serious warning. Are you going to choose a path and be satisfied wherever it ends up? Or are you going to look ahead and choose a destination and take the path that leads you there. Don't consider the width or the ease or the pleasure of the path. Consider its destination. This is a serious warning. This is a call to action. Number two, this is a call to action from Jesus himself. Now, I already indicated we've reached the, the point in the Sermon on the Mount here where Jesus gives his concluding challenges. He presented us with many teachings in the Sermon on the Mount and now the question is, what are you going to do with this? Don't just walk away from this Sermon on the Mount and say, well, Jesus preached a good sermon. Don't just say that was challenging. It needs to be more than challenging. It needs to be life-changing. Jesus is saying, put my words into practice. When Jesus teaches, Jesus calls for commitment. He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He says, take my yoke upon you. He says, enter in at the straight gate. This is a call to action. It's easy to admire the Sermon on the Mount and admire what Jesus says. Say, that was a good sermon without acting on it. In this case, admiration without action is fatal. Jesus says, enter the straight gate. This is a call to action. This is a point of decision. You're at a point of decision. It's not maybe. It's not later. It's not let me think about it. It's one way or the other, the broad way or the narrow way. Why do I say that? Because lack of action is a choice. Lack, lack of action is rejecting the narrow way, and it is choosing the broad way. 
This is a point of decision. In these verses, we have two gates. We have two ways. We have two crowds. We have two destinations. And only two. There are not three destinations. There are not three paths. There are only two. In the following verses, we see more sets of two. Two kinds of trees with two kinds of fruit, two kinds of builders, two kinds of foundations, two kinds of houses. And in every case, there's only two, not three. There is no middle road. It's the broad way or the narrow way. As we come back to this picture, I want you to notice there is no bridge from here to here. The decision has been made. There is no middle road leading up the middle here and you get to the end and you can kind of decide where you're going to go. This is not a triangle where you get to one point, you can decide to go to another point. There is no purgatory at the end where you can somehow change the destination of the path you took. In Noah's day, when the door was closed, it was not reopened. They had chosen their path and they needed to accept the destination. This is a point of decision. Jesus said, strive to enter at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. He describes a scenario. The master of the house has closed the door and people will knock saying, Lord, open to us. But at that point, it's too late. This is a point of decision. So I beg, don't decide to decide. Decide. Don't just decide you're going to decide. Decide which way you're going to go. Now, I say this is a point of decision, but it's more than that. This is a lifestyle. You see, a decision occurs in a moment. It takes just a few minutes to say your vows and to get married. It takes a lifetime to live out those vows. I told you earlier that the narrow way may get narrower and narrower as you go. Some of you have been finding that in your married life. As you face difficulties, health difficulties, where your spouse requires daily care, you don't have the freedom you had 20, 30 years ago. That way becomes narrower and narrower, and yet you are exercising the vow, the commitment that you have made, even though it becomes increasingly challenging. It's a mission of a lifetime to walk the narrow way. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Finally, this is a command. We may hear this statement, enter ye in at the straight gate. We may refer to that as an invitation. Really, it's not. It's instruction. It's an order. It's a command. Jesus does not say, I welcome those of you who are interested to come this way, to walk the narrow way. Jesus says, enter the straight gate. In the Old Testament, Moses told the children of Israel, he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. What does he say next? He doesn't say, so choose what you want. He says, choose life that you may live, both thou and thy seed may live. He doesn't say choose what you want. He says, choose life. Jesus doesn't say, choose what you want. He says, enter in at the straight gate. This is a command. As a closing challenge, 
The year was 1990, and I was traveling in Western Europe with a friend. We had taken a couple weeks, and we were traveling through Western Europe, visiting many uh, places of historical significance, uh, lots of interesting things. And because of our travel schedules and final destinations, our flight home from Western Europe, we, we were flying home in separate flights. So at the end of our trip, I headed to Cologne, Germany for my flight home, and my friend headed to Berlin, Germany for his flight home. He got to Berlin and he needed to spend the night of October 3rd overnight in Berlin so he could fly out the next morning. Now, if you're sharp with your history, you might recognize that in Germany, October 3rd, 1990, was a very significant date. By no intention of his own, he ended up being in Germany the night when East Germany and West Germany became Germany, the night of reunification. This was history in the making. This man was a schoolteacher. He didn't want to miss out. He decided he's going to see what's happening. He's going to be a part of this history. He saw a crowd of people heading down the street. He didn't know where they're going, but he decided, I'm, I'm going to follow. I'm going to see what's happening. He decided to find out. Now, this friend of mine is a small man. He's short and he's thin. He's probably what you would describe as being a featherweight. He started walking down the road with this crowd, and it didn't go very long until he realized that he was in a very dangerous situation. This was a mob like he had never been in before. And he says, I got to the point where I could not stop. I could not turn to the right. I could not turn to the left. He said, I was struggling to stay on my feet. I was being carried by this crowd. He says, I feared for my life. I knew that if I lose my footing, it's over. This mob is going to trample me. I don't have a chance in the world. And his one goal was to get out of that crowd. But how was he going to do it? He said, I looked ahead. I looked down the street. And down the street, I saw a light pole along the street. And he says, that, goal, that light pole became my intense focus. And he says, I just jostled myself as much as I could, trying to line myself up with that pole. He says, I managed to reach that pole, and I clamped my arms around that pole, and I hung on for dear life until the crowd passed by, and I turned and I walked the opposite direction. He says, I never did find out where the crowd was going, and frankly, I don't care. Proverbs 4, verse 26 says, ponder the path of thy feet. Consider where you're going. This morning, if you find yourself being carried along in the crowd on the broad road, set your eyes on Jesus. Make him your goal. Focus your entire being on him. Strive to enter in. Grab a hold of Jesus and hang on for your life. Let the crowd pass by. Don't be trampled under. Don't let them carry you along. And when they pass by, turn and walk the other way, the narrow way of life. Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight, that ice that wants to build up on our feet, the sin which does so easily beset us. 
Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, the narrow way, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him walked that narrow way, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. Thank you for your patience this morning. Let's kneel for prayer. Thank you again this morning, Lord, for your words to us. Thank you that you not only show us the way, but you give us direction and you tell us which way to walk. Lord, we confess this morning that even though our, our desire is to live for you, we are enticed so many times by the broad way of this life. And we confess that, that they grow on us and that they bog us down. Lord, I just pray that, that you would deliver us and that you would set our focus again on the narrow way that leads to life, that we could live in that life through eternity where we just burst out into a whole new realm, leave the restrictions of this world behind us and spend eternity with you, Lord. That is our goal. We pray that you could accomplish that in each one here according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.